Welcome to Being Honest with My Ex. My ex is Peter C. Haywood. My ex is SJ, better known as Honor Eastley. We were engaged for two years and, and then, then we, we broke, broke up. up <laughs> and then we stopped talking to each other for a year and now we do a podcast together. Would you have a baby with me? If I can get you to cry next podcast, we'll have a hat trick. <laughs> you don't know this, but I have a very vivid image of what your penis looks like. What? <laughs> if I met you now, I do not think that I would go out with you. Oh my God. I think if I met you now, I'd, I'd fall more in love with you than I did the first time. I have a question for you. Uh-oh. Wait on. Before you your question, can I tell you something? Okay. <laughs> so, in between the last episode that we recorded... Yep. And this episode that we're recording now, which was literally about 10 minutes. Yep. I got my period. That's beautiful. That's a, a beautiful thing. This is the first time since I've had an IUD. Oh, okay. I thought this was just like random menstruation facts with SJ. The new segment at the start of every episode. No, no, that's a whole <laughs> separate podcast. <laughs> Being honest with my eggs. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you liked your own joke. Way too much there. That was really solid. It's just, I'm not really into puns. Like, it's got to be good. What? Or Corin has to be saying it, my partner. I thought we weren't talking about why we broke up this episode. Oh, shit. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Pretend you didn't hear that, everyone. Okay, everyone. But also, being honest with my eggs, that is like, for the top of my brain, that is a fucking solid part. I hope at least, like, three people laughed out loud like while they were washing dishes <laughs> maybe they like got milk coming out of their nose that that's like <laughs> this is getting to be a more and more specific subset like people who laughed out loud at the joke while washing dishes and then milk came out of their nose <laughs> so people who were those were different no, alternatives no, no. three people with that specific set of conditions People who were listening to the podcast while washing dishes and drinking milk and found the joke funny. Look, <laughs> At least three. <laughs> if that is you, please email us. We want to hear from you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have a question for you. Question time. Okay. Is this a question I'm going to like? <laughs> what is a film's theme? Like, what, what, does, what do people mean when they talk about the theme of a film? The first thing that comes to my head is just... Like, the warnings that are on films, <laughs> and it's got, like, naked themes, adult themes. Naked themes. <laughs> secret banana recipe themes. I was just wondering if you know what, like, the theme of a film is. KFC themes. You know, stuff like that. <sighs> I feel like all of my art teachers will be really disappointed <laughs> right now that I can't answer this question with ease. Did you say theme singular or themes? Either, both. Okay. A theme could be like womanhood. Okay, cool. That's what I think of. Or like growing up. Yeah. Or parenting. And, and quite often when, when screenwriters are talking about theme, it's more specific, like uh, more the message of the film, I guess. Like the theme of, of Finding Nemo is don't try to hold on to your kids too tightly so they can never explore the world. Yes. Obviously. I didn't just realize that now. So, <laughs> in my other podcast, Let's Write a Film, we use Finding Nemo as the thematic example every time because it's got such a perfect theme. Anyway, the reason I bring up theme is because there is one theme that I wonder if it's been in a bunch of films that I've missed it or if it's just not been in films or it's not been as obvious as I want. But the theme that I want to see in more films is how easy it is to be excited by stuff that distracts you from what you actually want to do in life. 
I feel like that's closely related to the Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing. How? Well, isn't there some idea that there's this woman and she's supposed to save everything, but really, actually, actually, no. I just realized that that's not it. That's how I would like <laughs> it to go. Relationship won't save you, blah, blah, blah. Right. But that's not how those movies go. They get no. saved by the relationship. Is They do, is yeah. the trope. So, in the episode uh, where we talked about moving towards a mountain, we talked a lot about the fact that I consistently get sucked in by this. Over and over again, I'll be like, yeah, I want to write sitcoms, so let's let's move to Canada and start a board game company. Or I want to write sitcoms, so let's do panel shows. And I get really passionate and excited about these things because they are distracting me from my mountain. Yeah. I can't think of a single movie that has that in it. And they should, because it's really hard to spot. And I know it's really hard to spot, because not only have I missed it, but in fact... You missed it. Oh, you mean as in I missed you doing it? No, you missed you doing it. Oh, no. Wait, are you going to tell me something I don't know about myself? No, we, we talked about this the other day. <laughs> Uh-oh. I don't remember that conversation. No! So. What is it? Why don't you tell everyone about what your job is at the moment? I don't have a job. Why don't you have a job, SJ? Because I, I, I quit my job. Do you want me to talk more on that? Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can keep on asking you, like, essay questions. <laughs> How does that make you feel? Discuss. <laughs> you quit your job. Discuss. <laughs> what is the theme of you quitting your job? <laughs> How does SJ explore the theme of independence and self-belief in the process of quitting her job? Yeah, so people who follow me on Instagram will know that I put up a thing saying that I quit my job. But the truth is... I quit that job and then I had another job that I was going to. But then I quit that job. So now <laughs> there is no job. No job. This is, this is a pretty big moment. I feel like you should uh, take a second to reflect. Mm. Good. That was good. That was a good okay. second. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not sure what to say about it. It's really, it's like a conflicted thing. Okay. So I quit my job for a few reasons, but one of the big sort of temporary situations that was going on that really encouraged me to do it was that I was so exhausted. So I went home for Christmas and I was just so tired. And this is like immediately after you'd recovered from your previous burnout. So this is not like an isolated like, oh, what a big year, exhausted. This is like burned out, recovered, heading straight back into burnout. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, because like a few months prior, I had asked to work less at my job because I was just completely burnt out. And so this was me working less at my job. And then I got to the end of the year and I was like, fucking hell, Jesus fucking Christ. And being home over Christmas, that's the point at which you're allowed to like do a bit less work. <laughs> yeah, generally, yeah. And I just hung out with my family and I was terrible. I couldn't do, like I couldn't face my email or recording this podcast. It helped that the internet there is terrible, which meant it was logistically impossible also. But I was like, I cannot. I can't do this. I cannot face doing this for another six months even. And I'm a relatively, like, I'm quite a conservative person in terms of making decisions like that. And politics. Actually, no. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I find it really difficult to make decisions like that. Like, you, Peter, are, you're really good at being like, nah, fuck it, whatever. Whereas I'm like, uh, how do I explain myself? What if it doesn't work? Fuck. And I did lots of spreadsheeting and I was like, I can do this. 
this looks like a thing that I can definitely do. It's actually sustainable. And if everything goes correctly, is sustainable. But even if everything doesn't go correctly... I'll still be okay. Worst case scenario is in six months' time, you have to get a different job. Yeah, so the worst case scenario is also okay. But I still find that such a hard decision to make. I mean, a big part of it was because the job that I was going into, I was really excited about the people that I'd be working with and the kind of thing. But, and this is where it comes back to what you're talking about, which is, it's a great distraction from the mountain, is what Peter is saying. Right. So, yeah, you you decided to quit your job and go to a new job and realised you're exhausted. Not just that. I also then made a plan for the first half of 2017 and I was like, wow, this is not feasible. Which is also kind of, I think, a big step for you. (laughs) (laughs) As in recognising that it's not feasible? Yeah. (laughs) I was like looking at it and I was like... Uh, that's why like I was just terrible at answering emails for two weeks because I was like I can't even face the prospect of of doing this that's just terrifying to me but what's been interesting is that and I wrote about this on Patreon it's been kind of nice to have that place to talk about the process with people who are supporting me without having to be public about it necessarily yeah yeah talking about it with investors in a sense Well, yeah, yeah. And so it's nice to be able to do that. And I wrote this thing about how most of the time I don't really believe in myself, if that makes sense. And I don't really believe in the work that I'm doing completely or much. Really, it moves around day to day. But I pretend to because I know that I need to to be able to get anything done. If I didn't at least pretend to believe in the work that I do and myself or whatever, I would be completely paralyzed and I would achieve very little, I imagine. But it means that when making a decision like quitting your only normal job, because I have a few other less normal jobs, to commit to your work, it's really difficult to do that if you don't believe in it. Like genuinely believe in it. <laughs> so I wrote in the Patreon about how actually it felt like I wasn't really committing. I wasn't really believing in myself. I was believing in their belief in me, if that makes sense. Yeah. The fact that you guys are still here and this is still a thing, I want to really genuinely respect that and I want to commit to that and I want to believe in that. Belief by proxy. Because that to me is more more tangible uh, than how I feel about my own stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that's how that's kind of how the process happened. I don't know if you're aware of it. There's a thing you do quite often. I know I've yelled at you about it before. Where you won't tell a story, you'll tell the story of you telling a story. What? So sometimes like just say you uh, hit someone with your car. You wouldn't say, hey, the other day I hit someone with a car. You'd be like, so I sent an email to my dad the other day where I told him about how I'd hit someone with my car. And I said to him, I was driving along Hope Street and someone crossed at the corner and I sped up and hit them. And while I was writing that, I realized that I'd, uh, I'd hit someone with my car and I felt really sad about it. Like, you will abstract the story by one level. Interesting. You just did it then with the Patreon thing. You didn't tell the story about you coming to terms with the fact that people believe with you. You told the story of you telling the Patreon about the story of you coming to terms with people believing with you. Look, I've just watched the movie Inception and I liked it a lot. (laughs) You can't blame a girl for her fantastic cinema taste. It's just, yeah, I find it very strange. It's something that you, if you go into fictional writing, you quickly learn to avoid because people want to do it a lot. Actually, game, game design is a better example. No one wants to play a game about playing a game. 
Well, I suppose it's more vulnerable. If I, I know, but I'm saying like you're, you're the you're the queen of vulnerability. You gotta you gotta learn to lean into that. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Anyway, I told a nice story, and you just picked on me for it. So you have to make up for it by saying something nice. Well, I find like genuinely, and I'm not I'm not doing this to like prove a point. I find it hard to connect with that story because that is not the story of you discovering something. That's the story of you telling a story. So what did you think of it? Because I talked to you for like two hours about. Whether or not to quit my job. <laughs> two hours. Hilarious. You talk to me on like three different occasions for upwards of two hours each time. Okay. So, yes. I've talked to you about it for like the past six months. <laughs> Sorry. I was just thinking about narrative structure and how uh, lacking that story was in it. Oh, too mean. Too mean. It's okay. I don't think about narrative. Fuck you, basically. Okay. Just. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're reluctantly agreeing to have sex with me. <laughs> I'm I not. Think it's really great. Like, just to I've, be clear, <laughs> you're enthusiastically agreeing to have sex with me. I mean, my thoughts are, are pretty well known because we did a whole episode about it about the fact that I think you should just absolutely quit your job and try to live creatively. And I want to talk about something that I know you're super, super, super uncomfortable talking about. Uh oh. Uh, which is the fact that you have some money, like you have savings. Yeah, I saved some money because I'm fiscally conservative. Fiscally conservative in the streets and socially liberal in the sheets. Woo! (laughs) Do you want to tell people how much you have saved? No, that feels weird. I know. I know it feels weird. I'm just curious as to whether you want to explore that area that you don't normally talk about. No. (laughs) No, I mean, like, that's that's also part of the reason why I quit my job or felt like I was okay to do it because I was like literally if I didn't make any money in the next six months I would be okay yeah I would not be happy about it because I worked really hard to save the money (laughs) I'd be really stressed um and I'd be like holy fuck this isn't working I can't do this blah 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 but everything would be okay I found a list of the best financial books. I can't remember who linked to it. Someone did. Um, And the best thing was that they had summaries of them. So I bought the top one or two. And then I read the summary of the third one, which is called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I've not read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but I've read the summary of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So this is me summarizing the summary. This is much like your your Patreon story. Yeah, this is very like that. Okay. (laughs) And it it talks about, like, so this guy had two dads. Uh, one was rich and one was poor. And he actually like had two fathers due to step marriage things, I think. And he would take actions that would upset his poor dad and, and make his rich dad happy and vice versa. And one of the things that he, he learned was that money in the bank is not working for you. Like you want your money to be working for you. Think of your money as employees. If you have your employees sitting there doing nothing, you're wasting your employees. Yeah. Whereas if you have your, your money making money, then that's the, that's the trick to becoming wealthy. Did it make sense? And so uh, I, th- I think I go too far the other way in that I never have money because every time I have money, I'm like, okay, I'm going to put it towards this and this and this and this. And I always have like a million creative projects on the go. You and I are really different in this way. It's very funny. Yeah. And so for me, I've been very frustrated. Not like I don't want to tell you what to do with your money, but I've been frustrated because you've had this money sitting in the bank and been insanely stressed and unhappy. Yeah. So, yeah, I find those sorts of decisions really difficult. Because I am so... you're going to say sexy. <laughs> because I am so conservative with money because I'm genuinely really afraid. I mean, a bunch of it's informed by having to pay for really expensive... Mental health stuff. Mental health stuff. Like every... Well, so far it's been like every two years. Actually, you know what? It hasn't been 
I haven't had a crisis in the last two years. Nice. Sort of. That's Woo-hoo. kind of not true, actually. Oh. Unwoohoo. <laughs> October in 2014, I was in hospital. So I just mean it's been over two years and nothing like that's happened since then. But it used to be like every few years I would go through a massive crisis. And one of the key themes of that crisis was how am I going to survive? And I realized the other day that I could interchange the phrase chronically suicidal with the phrase seriously considering studying medicine. (laughs) Like those two things. For you personally, not for everyone in the world. No, for me personally, those two things are completely linked. They have a one-to-one correlation. Like when I have really big existential crisis and then it comes back to like what the fuck am I doing with my life and all that kind of stuff I always come back to like I'm fucked right now how the fuck am I gonna look after myself yeah and that's when I start looking at medical degrees you don't want to be a doctor (laughs) no I definitely don't I'm really glad that I didn't make decisions about that kind of stuff at those points because it's happened a number of times now but yeah I mean that's kind of just an insight about how terrified I am about those kinds of things. I'm terrified. Like, I have a really, really long narrative of not being capable, which yeah. doesn't really completely make sense because I've personally always worked and I'm actually very secure. You're also very employable. That also helps. But I didn't really know that. I remember two years ago, I remember my boss being like, oh, you're so employable. And I was like, that is not true. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't believe it. And genuinely having the confidence to feel like I was employable was something that I had to learn. Yeah. Because I was like, I studied fine art and I did a bunch of random shit. And actually applying to do the Teach for Australia program which I talked about I got into at the end of 2015, and then I turned down. But the process of going through that and getting accepted, I learned so much about how to apply for things and how to present yourself and write a resume. And you would think that I would have already learned that stuff at 25, but I had not. And it was such empowering information because I was like, oh, this is how that thing works. And I was like, you know, I could get a job. (laughs) Because at that time I had been working the same job for like five years and I really didn't think that I could get another job. Anyway, that's all terrifying. But yeah, I think the other thing is I find it difficult being public about money. Also when like the Patreon exists and people are giving you money and then It was interesting after the Patreon first happened and it was way like amazing. Like I got all this support and I was super appreciative. And then I saw people commenting on like when I should quit my job. And it was really interesting because then I was like, oh yeah, people have this insight into my life and personal stuff about me. At least a small insight into it that most other people like you do not have that insight into. Yeah, for sure. And I was like, oh, that's weird. That's going to be strange to deal with. And also people have the insight without seeing the expenses. Kickstarter is a great example. People see, oh, Scuttle made 87,000 US dollars. Yeah. And you just don't know how much stuff costs. Yeah. And at the moment, most of money for Patreon is going into building my capacity to create things. Right, like most of the money goes to our fantastic editor, Lance. Yeah, so that's where it goes, so that then I can spend the time actually putting together my new podcast, Starving Artists, and preparing the launch and all that kind of stuff, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do it. 
Yeah. Or it would take a really fucking long time. <laughs> yeah. And I would feel really bad about it. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting, that thing. I suppose you just got to be like, yeah, you can't explain everything and people will make judgments and they'll make assumptions and that's that's fine. Yeah, Amanda Palmer had a million dollar Kickstarter and a lot of people started describing her as a millionaire. And she's like, that's not how, <laughs> that's not how any of it, like, no, you don't make $1 million off Kickstarter and become a millionaire. <laughs> like, I think she, she now is definitely a millionaire. At the time, she definitely was not. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the money was high-level pledges for stuff like customized record players, which cost an insane amount of money to buy, customize, and then mail out. And, like, even ignoring that, she had to pay for the studio to record. Like, there's just so many expenses. And people were like, oh, wow, so you're a millionaire now. She's like, I, I have more money than I did. But I think ultimately it's, it's what you said. It's that you have more bandwidth. Yeah, you have more capacity. That's why I hate those mugs going around that say you have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce. You do not have the same <laughs> amount of hours in the day as Beyonce. Beyonce probably has like at least 100 people working for her. Beyonce has literally 100 times the amount of hours in the day as you do. In, in that sense. But also literally she has the same number of hours to think and do and be. Yes, yes. But she has many love. capacity to employ she has a only lot of other people. 24 hours a day to Love. and be on oh my god <laughs> <sighs> so yeah so a lot of that's about building capacity i suppose i've mentioned this like a dozen times on the podcast now but when i got the money from scuttle i could have run off with like tens of thousands of dollars not run off but like i could have kept tens of thousands of dollars instead i put them into dracula's feast and i put them into the next project that we're doing lady and the tiger and like i'm just investing that money forward because i want to make more games and ideally it'll end up with me like having something that's worth value instead of just being like well i took all that money and i put it into stuff that didn't work yeah that that money gave me the bandwidth to do the next project the next project the next project which is how amanda palmer has always talked about her stuff i mean i don't know if that's how it works now but in her book art of asking she says that her accountant was always pissed off with her because she'd take the money from one project and then immediately spend it on the next thing yeah she wouldn't save anything earlier on when you were talking about going to medical school i was thinking how long is medical school the study is five years but then it's like 10 years until you're a person so like i was thinking like the equivalent of medical school is sort of what you and i have done of like spending close to 10 years 10 in my case i think a little bit less in your case because you're just more talented than me just really investing the time and effort into creative stuff like we've talked in the past when i was 20 or 21 or 19 or something like that i made three tv shows off my own back <laughs> that is the time and mental energy and money that would go to medical school and now 10 years on i'm not a doctor of creativity but i feel like i'm definitely like far enough along that path that i can be like yep that was a, a solid 10 year of, of creative school in just like making stuff constantly yeah yeah it's funny how it's uncool I mean, people don't really talk about money that much publicly. Right. And if they do and they brag about it, people usually think they're an asshole. Right. I just realized that it feels like kind of uncool to say you have savings <laughs> and are an artist. Yeah. It's, it's, I find it funny also because in a bunch of ways I'm sort of stuck, but not stuck, but I move in between a few different social groups and one of them is people who are like, ah, I do creative stuff. Do I even like it? I'm not even sure. Oh God, this thing that I'm pouring all my life into, I'll never be able to buy a house. And the other group is people who are buying houses now. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of stuff is really contextual 
if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I have a, a close friend who I won't mention my name who four years ago got into Teach for Australia. And so he moved to a town like two hours out of Melbourne. And I was so excited because he was like, oh, there's going to be nothing to do there. I'll come visit you in Melbourne all the time. And I just never saw him again. Like literally, I haven't seen him since that day. Uh, I'd still call him one of my good friends, but he went into Teach for Australia and disappeared. And I heard from him like two days ago. He was just like, hey, uh, I'm trying to get into board game design. Like, you're doing cool. Like, not, not like, not like, Hey, Peter, I want something from you. Talk to me. But like, hey, here's an excuse to contact you. Uh, I want to get into board game design. Tell me about board game design. That sounds interesting. And we chatted and I learned that in the four years since I last spoke to him, he's gotten married and bought two houses. And four years ago, he was not like poor, like Oliver Twist, but he was not a person who had money. <laughs> he, he didn't come from money. He didn't particularly have money. He was just a, a, a dude who was, you know, a teenager or early 20s or however old he was. Just a normal person without money in the way that no one in their early 20s has money. And now he owns two houses. And that was that was just mind-blowing to me. I told you about this and you got very sad. No, at first I was like, wow, fuck him. <laughs> Which is not <laughs> something that I would admit to publicly. That is not a response I have. And then you kept talking about it and then I was like, okay, you need to stop talking to me about this. <laughs> what, why, why did it upset you? I think many of my friends are getting to the age where the decisions you made when you were bushy-eyed, the decisions and the effects of those are cumulative. Yeah. And so over a longer amount of time, the differences are quite significant. And it's between, you know, owning two houses and being like, fuck, I'm never going to be able to own a house. Does that make sense? And so that makes me feel sad. That triggers the fiscally conservative side of you being like, I don't own any houses. And it just, you know, it makes me go into like big questions about what's the best thing to do Particularly because I've been through a big process in the last week where I... Wait, wait, don't tell me about it. Tell me about a letter you wrote to someone describing a conversation about it. Okay, so I was talking to my friend Lyra about it last night, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready for this? Yep. I'm not going to describe it like that. So, I... I watched Bo Burnham's special that he brought out in 2016 called Make Happy, and then I felt empty inside. That's what good comedy will do to you. Then I watched his special, and then I read his Reddit AMA, and then I read everything of his on Twitter, and then I went back and watched all of his YouTube videos. Now I know a lot (laughs) about Bo Burnham. You did the exact same thing with Little Dicky when we were last hanging out in Melbourne. This was so much worse. This was a lot more significant. He's a weird case, Bo Burnham. In case you don't know, he was a YouTube singer who, like, I used to love his YouTube stuff. It's just hilarious little, like, raps, and they're really tight and clever. And he basically graduated high school and became a full-time comedian with, like, no gap. And he absolutely deserves it. Like, his YouTube videos, if you look at him, it's like a 16-year-old in his attic bedroom on a little electronic piano, and they're great. Like, they're so watchable, and they're so funny, and they're so tight, and they're so solid. And he's turned from that into, like, a full-time comedian just based on sheer talent. And it's it's really cool that he was able to do that. But it's not a, it's not a standard story (laughs) no 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 and okay this might be this is going to be a spoiler so if you haven't watched make happy and you want to watch it without knowing anything about spoilers for make happy ahead but at the end he has that you know but what is this show about guys (laughs) and he talks about how we're told that we all have something to say or at least he was he was born in 1990 in America. And then you find out at some point that actually no one gives a shit what you say. But then there are some people who a lot of people give a shit what they say. A lot of performers. And that then it means that 
because they won the game that everyone else mostly <laughs> lost, they must have the real answers, right? And he talks about how it's kind of stupid that people like Katy Perry or Taylor Swift would go on stage and tell people to follow their dreams. Because it's a selection bias thing. Well, he says, these are the words that he says. He says, I was incredibly privileged and I got lucky and I'm unhappy. Yeah. And he talks about how like social media was created for a generation that demanded to perform and that <laughs> it's fucking prison. <laughs> and they were all catching this loop of performing to each other all the time for no reason. <laughs> and he said, if I could give you any piece of advice, it would be that if you can live without an audience, you should do it. And I was like, whoa, whoa. Anyway, he goes on to sing this song, and in the song, he's kind of making this joke about how he has these really tedious, insignificant problems. And then he kind of breaks it down. He's like, actually, I can pretend that that's my biggest problem, but my biggest problem is actually the audience and my relationship with the audience. And then I want to make you happy. I've listened to it a lot, so I know a lot of the words. So if you have heard this or if you do listen to it, you this will notice verbatim. that this is almost <laughs> verbatim. <laughs> He's like, I want to please you. I want to give you the night out that you deserve, but I also want to say what I think and I don't want to care what you think about it. And just this tension about like happiness and performance and that relationship to self and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, oh my God. And it, it fucking, it hurt. And I had just quit my job. And I was like, oh, oh my God, fuck. Oh shit. And then I read a lot of stuff about him. His Reddit AMA is really good. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And he's got this bit where I screen kept it and I sent it to you. Someone asked him, like, what would your advice be for young performers? And he, you know, first off is like, look, I was incredibly lucky. And he was. He happened to be born at the right time and have access to the right things when YouTube was the kind of place where you could make a great, he's obviously talented, but very DIY song. I think I'm Boyo, which is one of his biggest ones, has like 24 million views. Yeah. And he made that when he was 17. And you just, like, that's not a thing you can do on YouTube anymore. You can't the make the videos that... be like, yeah, Lil Dicky got really big with the ex-girlfriend song, whatever it's called. Yeah. And that has, like, I think millions, but not 20 million. Yeah. And that's really well produced. Yeah, exactly. You can't do that sort of shit anymore, really. It's like when people say, that's so 2006, and it's because what we expect from these... My, my sort of hope on one level is that you and I are riding that wave right now of podcasts, because we don't have, like, professional recording equipment. We edit this as well as we can. Hey, I have professional recording equipment. Like, all, all through the previous episode, I could hear planes and trucks going by in the background. Like, this is very DIY. True. This is very oh, homemade. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're in we our We make house. it as good as we can. But I reckon in 10 years' time, this podcast would not see... I'm not saying that the way. Like, we're getting massive numbers, but I don't think it would see the numbers that we're getting now. I went to a talk with PJ Vote from Reply All, which is a big podcast by Gimlet. It's your favorite podcast. It's a great podcast. I actually honestly haven't listened to a podcast in like four months because I've been, that's how burnt out I've been. I've been like, I just want silence whenever there's an opportunity. Anyway, he said 
that that's exactly where podcasting is. It's getting a little bit more sort of, it's getting a little bit harder, which happens with every sort of new thing. Yeah. But that it is still kind of in its infancy in some ways and people can do some fucking weird shit, but soon it's going to get a lot harder. And you yeah. can see that like already in the past couple of years, there's so many, it's so hard to get people to care or listen. That's yeah. why we really appreciate you. <laughs> yes. uh, this this is why a lot of the stuff that I do doesn't have a time limit necessarily. Like the the board games that I make, I could release them in two years' time and presumably do roughly as well. But Night Crew, which is my audio sitcom that I'm working on, I want that to be the first, not even the first now because there's already one out there, but I want it to be one of the first wave of really well-produced audio, sitcom. audio sitcoms because I think in like five years' time, maybe even in one or two years' time, the market will just be flooded. And yeah. if you can be the first, like Night Vale was, like Bo Burnham was, then like you can really go places with it. But past a certain point, you just, you can't. Yeah. There, there, there is a time limit on this thing, which is why I dedicate one day a week to it, because I want to get it out there before the end of this year. Yeah. So, Bo Burnham, talking on Reddit, advice to give. First off, he says, I was incredibly lucky. And then he was talking about how new models of distribution are really great on a bunch of hands. On a bunch of hands, they were really great. <laughs> In a bunch of ways. Uh, like, it means that, you know, you, anyone can make a social fucking media account and then talk to anyone in the fucking world and whatever, and you can distribute your music online and rowdy, rowdy, rowdy. But he was saying that it encourages things that he thinks are kind of shit. He calls them toxic impulses, if I remember correctly, which is, like, self-promotion and, like, branding. And he's... It's funny that this sounds like an old school belief, but he was saying that you should first be trying to make something really fucking good. You will like this because this relates to the advice that you gave me a couple of weeks ago <laughs> saying, read that book so good they kind of ignore you book? by Cal Newport. No, I didn't. I just got obsessed with Bo Burnham and turns out, same Gotta thing. Gotta read it, man. Gotta read it. <laughs> I did buy it. He, he's a really good example of, of so good that you can't ignore him. I, I did buy it, so good. I will read it hopefully. And he was like, you should be trying, first of all, to get really good at something and make something worthwhile and then share it. Yeah, absolutely. He was like, the promotion bit should be the last bit, which totally flies in the face of any marketing book nowadays, which is like, share the process, build the buzz, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The thing is, like, do that on on the stuff that's good enough, but you're not going to get good enough for a while. Yeah. But he was saying that getting success early on made him realize how volatile and fluky people's attention was. He had no control over whether people liked something or not. The only thing he had control over was the thing that he was making. And he was like, you know, making the best thing you can is the best promotion. Does that make sense? This yeah, is exactly, yeah. I know, this is exactly <laughs> what you told me. All right, I just, you know, it takes Bo Burnham. You got so annoyed at me for telling you. I, fuck you, okay? You got so pissy and now you're like, Peter, here's some stuff that I've learned. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. Read the book, you'll love it. And he said, because sometimes that self-promotion stuff works, but I don't think it's really fulfilling in the end. Yeah doesn't necessarily make you feel good about something you should be trying as much as you can to be making something that you can give is- to the world <laughs> rather maybe he's read this book rather maybe because than- this is literally just you telling me the stuff i told you three weeks ago like okay well just just stop yelling at me okay well just stop telling just me stuff i've told me, you let me get to the point okay okay because it's an important point to this story it doesn't end here all right go on okay 
But he said that kind of stuff can be kind of empty, but making stuff is really fun. So you yep. should make stuff. Yep. Okay. This is the, Just this calm is the down. Book. Read the all book. Right? Okay. So I read all this stuff. Just after I'd quit my job. And I'm very glad that you learned the lessons. I'm just a little bit frustrated that you didn't learn them when I was literally saying them to your face. Look, some of us take some time to get there. <laughs> and some of us need a very attractive, talented American man who is making funny jokes <laughs> for us to hear the message. Being honest with my eggs. <laughs> Bo Burnham would not make that joke. <laughs> He'd be all over it. He'd love it. Anyway, I listened to this and I was like, oh, wow, I don't feel like I've made anything good in a while. And that comes back to the thing we were talking about before about self-belief, right? Yeah. I don't believe in myself because so much of the time I don't think that what I make is any good. Starving Artist is really good. I think this podcast is really good. I wax and wane on these things because I don't think I'm ever, you know, being like, yeah, that was great. We don't always think that about the stuff that we do. Yeah. I was trying to nut it out. I think part of it is about crafting and sometimes a bunch of the stuff that I do feels like flukes rather than something I kind of well crafted. That's imposter syndrome. Is it? I think like to take the Tears Projects example, that's not a fluke. No part of that is a fluke. That is something you've deliberately worked on for two years now. Sure, sure. No, no, no. That one I'm on board with. I'm excited about getting to that one. Okay, what about Starving Artist? What, what about that can be a fluke? I mean, I don't think I'm... It's just it's just me talking to people. It's, it's an idea that is really solid and it's very, very easy to be like, yeah, okay, I came up with a great idea and then I executed it very well. Like, I think we've had this conversation in reverse about me with Scuttle where I was like, yeah, okay, like... It's a really pretty game that I organized the art for and it's fun and it appeals really well because it's well presented. But other than that, what is it? Like, if you dismiss all the aspects of it that are great, yeah, okay, it's easy to be like, nothing's great. Starving Artist is a really great idea with an amazing title. I don't know who came up with that. Brilliant. And <laughs> it's a really great idea that you've done about as well as you can do that idea. So, like, flawless execution you have a following who are going to be really into it. There's nothing about that that is not good. And yet you're going to dismiss all of those things and be like, yeah, but other than that. So, okay. I usually can tell when I'm writing something good. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. <laughs> I can usually tell if I make myself cry at some point while I'm writing it. <laughs> okay, it's over. I said it. I feel like... That's not a reliable barometer. Oh, no. It just made me go like, oh. I think I heard it from the ferret, which is that there is no correlation between how you feel while making something, how much you like the thing, and how much it will connect with people. There's just not. If you speak to like very prolific people, ask them what their favorite thing is, it will almost never be the one that's most popular. Yeah. Some of Stephen King's best novels are ones that he was just totally high while wrote and has no memory of writing. Like, I can't remember who, there's some author who like put something together in half an hour in the middle of like six years of working on a book. The thing that he put together in half an hour has been the most popular and successful thing he's ever written is like, I don't get it. I do not know why people like that. I can tell you from my own erotic writing experience, my biggest hit is also my favorite. But aside from that, there's just no correlation between the ones that I really like and the ones that really connect with other people. So, and sometimes I'll get a commission and be like, oh yeah, I'll put that together. Done. You know, I wrote that story. And people are like, this is the best thing you've written. And then it'll be stuff that I pour my heart and soul into. And people are like, oh yeah, that was a story. Yeah, totally. I suppose the point then is though that the pursuit is important, right? You can't change or predict people's reaction. But the process of trying to make something really good is fulfilling. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. 
and we talked about this episode 52. We talk about this podcast and I talk about how this doesn't even feel like a thing that I do. You know, it's just a thing that happens in my life. So it doesn't feel like, oh, great, I'm achieving so much. That is just a thing that's happening. It doesn't give me that feeling of like, yeah, I'm really working on something meaningful, which is terrible because we get... I, know, I, I, I get a lot of meaning out of this. Yeah. Okay, two two quick things before we wrap up. One is that I pretty frequently feel like I was born to the exact right moment of history. Because, I mean, I don't know what's in the future, obviously, but I'm polyamorous and I'm like hard-coded polyamorous. And I live in a time where you can do that. I don't know how much of this is like nature versus nurture, but you know, you know you're talking about like the prison of social media? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Say that again with that, the glass in your face? Yes, I do. I <laughs> just said it before. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I don't find that to be a prison at all. Like, I find that really invigorating. I love living publicly and I love putting myself out there and I love the performing to everyone kind of aspect. Like, I just genuinely love all that stuff. It's one of those things where it's not like, oh, he's hiding his insecurity by this. I just really enjoy it. I fucking love doing that. I love posting stuff on Facebook and getting responses. And I like, this year I'm, I'm doing a selfie a day and I just want to see if I can do that. And like, it's just fun. I really enjoy it. I don't get any of the negativity and like the, the self-promotion of the branding. Like I have a blue beard and I do a podcast where I talk about myself with some woman I used to sleep with. And like I do another podcast and with my brother. also I... not sleep with sometimes. <laughs> You're forgetting all of the not sleeping. Rarely did we ever not sleep together. I know. I, I feel like I am, I am exactly attuned to this period of history. So while I totally understand what you're saying about that stuff, I... So can I just say on the social media thing, I think it's like your experience of social media is different because you are just so fucking honest. In life or on social media? Both. Right. So you just like, there isn't that, I feel like you don't have that dissonance in the same way that I do and I think other people I know do. Because I'm just actually telling the truth all the time on social media. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. That's my current theory. And, and the other thing is, and this is Peter's ego coming into play, who also should get its own segment on this podcast. Oh, God. I am 100% convinced that I am going to be famous. <sighs> and so all of that thing of like, oh, this generation, they all think they're going to be famous. I'm like, well, yes, because I am. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me a typical member of the, of the generation or if I'm actually going to be the Katy Perry or be the... Taylor Swift. Of actually getting to that point and being the weird exception. Like, I'm not going to advise everyone, hey, yeah, follow your dream, but I'm absolutely going to follow my dream. And it's working pretty well for me so far. What even is a dream, really? You know? Scientists don't know what dreaming is, you know? That's not true. Um, I thought you'd enjoy that because a big part of this show is just illustrating how very different you and I am. And I am just like the ultimate millennial. Are or am? How different you and I are. <laughs> I, how different I am to you. Oh, I don't know. Um, I'm a writer. Uh, I think that's an interesting difference between us in that none of that stuff stresses me out because I'm just like, I've, I've lent right into the millennial thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're leaning hard in. And then the second thing is that uh, we opened this by talking about the fact that you were doing what I've done for many years and being distracted from your mountain by shiny things. I just wanted to briefly touch on that in that like, while we were talking about you quitting this job, you were like, oh, but I think it might be the best thing that I can possibly do. Yeah, totally. I'm like, but this is the perfect situation. It's working with people that I love. I'm going to get great experience. I don't get any money for it. <laughs> it's really hard because that sort of stuff, it's saying no to what is a good opportunity. Yeah. 
And that's exactly what I've spent the last few years not doing, much to my chagrin. And I'm not pointing this out to, like, make fun of you, but just no, no, to say no. that, like, I, it, it is a thing that happens to everyone. I've said it so many times. Getting anything done is saying no to a lot of other stuff that also looks great. And that's really fucking hard to do. It's also really hard to see that you're not doing it. Like, the advice is so clear, but when you're in the middle of it, you don't see it that way. Yeah. Yeah. We have an outro this week. Yes. This one's from Don Dierks the Third. Don Dierks the Third. Thanks for listening to Being Honest with My Ex. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe to us on B. Leave a review and tell your friends. Peter is my favorite non-digital son. In 1,000 feet, turn left. Then your destination will be on the right. <laughs> I hadn't actually listened to that one yet. That sounds exactly like the start of Bo Burnham's special Make Happy. I was going to ask you, uh, have you listened to his song Art is Dead? Yes. Yeah, that is one of my favorites. Like That's my favorite serious song of his. That is all from us this week. However, we have an exciting announcement. Oh my God, what's the exciting announcement? We discussed it right before we recorded. Was it my period? No, that was in the recording. Okay. <laughs> a few days after this goes live, I'm not sure of the exact date yet, we are launching a Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Do you want to explain what our Kickstarter is for? It's so that we can get Peter to Australia so he will finally fillet me with the respect that I truly deserve. That is uh, not true, although maybe, maybe that'll be a stretch goal. Uh, we want to do a live version of this show. We want to do Being Honest with the Next live at the Melbourne Fringe Festival in Melbourne, surprisingly, during the Fringe Festival. However, because I am so far away, it's expensive to get me over, and we want to make sure that enough people won't actually come and see that before we do it. So we're running a Kickstarter. You can buy tickets to the show, and if we make our funding goal, then it'll happen, and I'll fly over to Australia, and we will do live shows and it'll be awesome. We're trying to make some really fun rewards and stretch goals at the moment. At the moment, we have, like, what is it? If we hit, I don't know, if we hit, like, $10,000, to me, that's an insane amount of money. But if we hit that, then Peter and I will make out on stage, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> it was just Kiss, but you've upgraded it. Oh, I have upgraded <laughs> it. At $15,000, <laughs> Peter will fillet me early. That's, yeah, that's in there. It's not in there. We have some cool stuff planned. It's not live yet. However, if you go to our mailing list, beinghonestwithmax.com, just click mailing list and subscribe. We'll let you know as soon as it goes live and we'll probably talk about it over the next few weeks while the campaign is live. Actually, I was thinking that this might be the only moment that we would talk about it. <laughs> uh, because we record these so far in advance, we might have to like splice in stuff of us being like, hey, this is current. Here's where the Kickstarter's at. But very exciting and definitely check it out. And thank you for listening. And you're all going to be rich and famous. Peter, this is exactly what we talked about. <laughs> it's encouragement, SJ. It's good for them. I also want to be encouraging, but I'm also terrified. I was privileged, very lucky, and I'm unhappy. <laughs> And you got no job at the moment. I'm very excited. I'm actually very, very, very proud of you. I don't know if I've said that, but I'm so proud of you. I've been trying to talk you into this for six months and you've done it. You've taken the plunge. Genuinely, that really helps because I'm still terrified and haven't really reached out for support that much because I feel embarrassed about it. Why do I feel? I don't know. There's probably a lot more to unpack about it. Anytime you need anything, I'm here for you. I love you and I'm proud of you. Thank you. I just might ask for some just general encouragement every now and then being like you made a great decision thank you nice work you did make a great decision and i will talk to you next week bye bye bye